So for us to survive, we really needed to hit that critical sales amount, which is usually five to seven million dollars when we started. And uh, we weren't going to do that if we carried only organic products. It just wasn't going to happen. We would not have survived as a pure organic natural food store to the extent that we have succeeded. And if we aren't sustainable as business, then we're not really doing anyone any favors. Hey everyone, welcome back to another new episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. I'm your host, Anastasia, and I'm super excited to share with you what we have planned today. So right now when we're releasing this and I'm making this, it's October. And you might be thinking, hey, wait, it's still October. Why am I hearing from you? Didn't we already do our October episode with Danielle from Equal Exchange? I'm supposed to get a break from you, right? First of all, true, we usually release on a monthly schedule. Second of all, you're a little rude, but I'm not going to get into that right now. This double October episode is here to help us continue to celebrate National Co-op Month and Fair Trade Month, two very important tenants to the LFC that warranted more than one episode. This extra special bonus episode, if you couldn't already tell from the title, features the return of our fearless leader, Co-op General Manager Ed King. Ed wanted to come on the podcast again to talk about sourcing and certifications, two topics that have big impacts on our shoppers, but that many do not know how to discuss or navigate while they're shopping. Of course, we're going to talk more about the fair trade movement, and it couldn't be National Co-op Month without talking about some of our trusted co-op partners you see on the shelves. Now, you're about to be a fly on the wall to our conversation. This means that you hear that I asked some hard questions and that Ed dropped some truth bombs I was even surprised that he said. This also means that you hear a lot of the noises a fly would hear too. Store pages on the intercom, creaking chairs, shuffling papers, etc. In other words, please forgive me for the less than stellar sound quality of this episode. We're still working on outfitting Ed's lair, I mean office, office with better podcasting equipment but until then just focus on the great content behind this brand new episode of that's rad god i really thought i would have been better about calling it the second time around Thank you for sticking around for this episode, everyone. Joining me right now is Co-op General Manager and newly minted repeat guest of the show, Mr. Ed King. Ed, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Good afternoon. So happy to be here. (laughs) I think our graphic designer and producer, Jesse, now has some competition for most appearances on the show, but we'll, we'll see how that goes going forward (laughs) he's all over the radio so everyone knows jesse so i i feel it's my turn okay the crown the crown is going to be passed on to someone else 
So today we're going to talk about, well, I think we're going to talk about a lot of different things within the same subject. And the only thing I could think of to kind of categorize all of this together was saying we're going to talk about the some of the labels you'll see on your products you're buying from the co-op and on the co-op shelves, particularly labels that talk about sourcing and certifications. Certifications is really what it's all about. Most of these are over overseen by independent organizations, international organizations, not just in the United States, throughout the throughout the world. So it they've come to some sort of agreement on what these terms mean, like organic and like fair trade. So as we move forward, the consumer I and mean, all of our customers really care about where their food is coming from and, and what sort of uh, attributes it has. And it's, it's hard for us to keep up because there's so many. It seems like every year there's a new sort of certification that gains prominence in the marketplace. Uh, but we're trying to pay attention to it. Uh, we try and carry those items for our consumers. And we do, I think, uh, educate ourselves on what these specific certifications mean. Mm. So what I was going to ask is if there, in talking about labels and sourcing and all that, if there are specific guidelines that the department managers have to follow, which we can certainly go into that, but you brought up, kind of reminded me that the whole point of this is we're doing this all for our members. So flipping that question on its head, are there labels and certifications that you hear most often that co-op members want to see on the co-op shelves and, and how do you decide how to how to do that? Yeah, I, the marketplace, especially here at the co-op, is driven by the consumer, the customer. Customer decides what we carry by their shopping habits and I think that's the way it should be. Um, we don't try and force anything down anybody's throat if they want organic, which is the num probably the number one certification people are paying attention to is we will have as much organic product in the store as possible. We try and have an organic alternative to every kind of product that's out there, if one exists. And we pay attention to what organic means as well. I mean, there's a little bit of controversy on a lot of these terms on exactly what they mean and how they've changed over time. The Organic Trade Association, which we are members through uh, NCG, or National Co-op Grocers, is one of those things that we uh, pay attention to, invest time in making sure that these certifications are upheld to the best of their ability. We don't want to see these standards uh, weakened. We want uh, organic to mean organic and continue to mean the same thing as it meant 20 years ago. One of the issues, I mean, there's so many issues that pop, crop up, but within organic, hydroponic foods are, are making a huge impact on productivity and sales and the consumer likes the uniformity and the of that product because it's grown in a controlled environment but a true organic product should be grown in the soil i mean that's that's the way i see it that's the way a lot of people see it but there's some controversy as to uh, within the industry is this really organic i mean hydroponic can be made with a hundred percent organic inputs but it's not really grown in the soil the way nature intended it to be. So in my view, 
hydroponics aren't necessarily organic. That's one of those controversies that we're paying attention to as an organization. So as an organization, as a co-op, we are also a hybrid co-op, which means that they're the local and the organic products on the same shelves as the conventional grocery store products. Was that always the intention? Is that what we set out to be? Or did it just, through the consumer input, is that how we ended up? Well, we emulated our store consistently after the Hanover Food Co-op. Um, they, they are a hybrid store. They carry natural and organic. They're from the 1930s, so when they started, organic wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I mean... The 1937, I think, was the year that they formed. Everything was organic, quite frankly, because there really wasn't uh, non-organic growing practices at that point in time. Uh, so they've evolved over the years, just like we've evolved over our short history. And we are probably trending towards more organic products within the store because there are consumers going in that direction. But we carry uh, non-organic alternatives for many of these products because we do care about everybody in the community. Not everybody in Littleton, New Hampshire, or Bethlehem, New Hampshire, or Franconia, New Hampshire, wants organic foods, or maybe they can't afford to eat organic 100% of the time. So they make choices and they, they pick organic foods that make sense to them, that they can afford, and they've got conventional items that they can purchase as well. It was also a business decision. Um, we are a small town. We're not Hanover-type town where there's 50,000 people within five miles of their store. And we had to make economic decisions. And our shoppers need to make these economic decisions as well. So for us to survive, we really needed to hit that critical sales amount, which is usually 5 to $7 million when we started. And... Uh, we weren't going to do that if we carried only organic products. It just wasn't going to happen. We would not have survived as a pure organic natural food store to the extent that we have succeeded. And if we aren't sustainable as business, then we're not really doing anyone any favors. So that was job number one, be a sustainable business going forward that we can pay our bills, we can pay our employees well, and we can offer fair pricing. Um, and having a mix of conventional and organic products was part of that decision. I feel like also it brings up the idea of our whole purposes to be, you know, if we say a community-owned, operated, oriented marketplace, and if you're excluding a whole community of people that, like you said, don't want organic or can, can't afford it, then we're not, the phrase everyone's welcome isn't really valid anymore if you're purposely making those exclusionary choices. Absolutely. We want to serve the entire community, not just the wealthy community. And that's one, one way we do that is by our offering conventional products at a fair price. So I think it's really funny that you brought up the point that when Hanover started, you know, that's organic label wasn't a thing because another thing I wanted to bring up was fair trade. When you started in this business, was the term fair trade around and like did people care about it? Fair trade existed in the late 1940s, but it wasn't 
oddly enough, we, we think fair trade, we think food. It wasn't in the food industry, it was in the manufacturing industry where uh, in textiles and, and gifts and knickknacks uh, in Puerto Rico and parts of China is where the fair trade movement got its start. But it, it evolved into food in the 1980s. And my first, the first time I noticed it was in my local church, of all places. They were selling fair trade coffee at our church because the supermarkets weren't carrying it. But they were, we had a sister community in Central America that was growing coffee. And this was a way for them to market their coffee is by sending it to various churches and we would pay them for that coffee. So it wasn't in the supermarket. I was started in supermarkets in 1976. That really wasn't, fair trade really wasn't on my radar until the late 1980s. And at that point, you know, I was buying coffee from a church of all places. Great coffee that eventually became Equal Exchange Coffee. And we carry Equal Exchange here. It's a, they're a great partner of ours here at the co-op. And it's not just coffee anymore. They have bananas, they have tea, they have nuts, they have avocados, and all sorts of tropical fruits. So Equal Exchange is one of those success stories, not only as a fair trade organization, but as a cooperative, because they're a cooperatively structured business mm -hmm. that works with growers all over the world to bring these great products to co-ops and other businesses throughout the country. So when you decided to make fair trade a part of co-op sourcing was it just because it tasted good or how did you go from this label not existing to like no this is going to be a very important part of my business so as far as the co-op decision i mean by the time we opened the store equal exchange was well established and really a mainstay in co-ops across the country they had uh, special pricing because of our cooperative relationship. We have a beautiful display of our bulk Equal Exchange coffee. We have all sorts of other Equal Exchange products, whether it's chocolate, tea, or packaged coffee throughout the store. We're excited when the Equal Exchange avocados and mangoes come in. We carry Equal Exchange avocados all, almost year-round. These, these are just incredible products that were well-established when this co-op opened. And it's growing all the time. So that was a no-brainer as far as that goes. It wasn't an option. We had to carry Equal Exchange products because they were so well-established in co-ops across the country. For products outside of Equal Exchange but are still fair trade certified, there are like a lot of certifying agents out there. If you, I was just like doing a quick Google search and a bunch came up. So how do you discern which are valid, who to partner with, and who aligns with the co-op and our ideas? Well, there, there are a number of fair trade organizations out there, and I don't want to be the policeman of fair trade uh, products. We do carry a number of products that have different certifications. Um, I think it's up to the consumer in, in this, at this point to do their research on this. Sometimes it's an economic decision. Maybe there is competition. Even though fair trade is different than pure capitalism, if another fair trade organization comes along and offers you more for your coffee than, say, equal exchanges, you're probably going to go in that direction. 
So there is a huge amount of competition in the fair trade arena because there's there's limited fair trade products out there and the consumer demand for it is huge. So I think that capitalism being the way it is, competition is probably a good thing, especially if it brings more food dollars to the growers. That said, there's probably some mislabeled fair trade organizations out there and, and do be careful. International fair trade and there's a couple of others that are mainstream and well-respected, fair trade certified, fair trade international. Those are kind of the bellwether um, fair trade logos that I look for as a consumer. But I think you need to do some research. There's uh, a movement afoot in the, this country to have a domestic fair trade. Most of these fair trade organizations do most of their work in third world countries. Farmers in this country deserve more of our food dollars. So how do we get more food dollars to our farmers here in the United States or Canada? Uh, and one way of doing that is having a domestic fair trade label. I'm not sure how much traction that particular movement's getting, but I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's so true that the disparities aren't just somewhere else. They're right here in the United States and in our communities, potentially even. What I, what I like about Equal Exchange and some of the other basic fair trade organizations is they they educate the growers on sustainability mm. on growing practices what what the, is our consumer looking for not all fair trade is organic but many of them are and they're usually taught what an organic certification through organizations like these fair trade organizations and equal exchange that just adds a value to their product and the and the growers are very receptive to that kind of training. Anything that they can do to help lift themselves and their region out of poverty um, is helpful to them. I think that's an important part of fair trade. They also pay a lot of attention to child labor. Child labor has become a problem, especially in certain industries, uh, chocolate being one of them. It's dangerous. There's, people are climbing trees. People are using sharp instruments, you know, probably seven-year-olds should not have machetes. I think that's pretty standard. You don't see many machetes in second grade, hopefully. Um, so that's another thing that they pay attention to in their certifications is making sure that there's, uh, A, no child labor, and then slave labor. People that are in some of these third world countries are basically slaves. They're indentured to their to the farmer, their livelihood, their housing and their food. In many cases, they aren't paid. They're basically uh, owned by the, these specific farmers, depending on what part of the world you're in. And I think it's important that we do everything in our power to rid this planet of slavery on any level. Um, I think it's just abhorrent, and I think it's one of the basic tenets of fair trade and equal exchange and all of these organizations is to make sure that this doesn't exist within our food chain. So then that being said, circling back to being a hybrid store, how do you kind of grapple with the fact that if a product isn't fair trade and it's not local, that it could be contributing and likely is contributing 
to these inequitable systems like food slavery? Well, food slavery, I think um, the corporations are starting to pay attention to this. They've gotten some bad press, whether it's Hershey or Nestle's or some of these big chocolate companies. It's important for them to have the trust of their, their consumer and they have done some no slave trade certifications for products sold in Europe. It hasn't reached the U U.S. yet, but I think that's going to happen one of these days. They have made statements that they will not support slave trade. Um, we pay attention to these statements. We carry very little conventional chocolate in this store. The vast majority of our chocolate is fair trade or organic or at least sourced, uh, sourced ethically. So we think that's important as we're as buyers for, for our consumers, um, and it is on our radar all the time. If there is an issue that we feel goes against our principles as human beings, and I think slave trade would be one of those uh, issues that, that most human beings can agree on, doesn't belong here, that we'll pay attention to that and make sure that we don't carry those products. Um, but there are some other things that happen that we can't guarantee. It's the real world out there. We cannot police 100% of the farms that uh, get their products to our shelves eventually. The best way the consumer can make sure this doesn't happen is support fair trade products. That way, they're sure that it's not making it to their table. How would you say, out of 100%, like where does the responsibility lie with the consumers or with the sourcers or retailers we'll call them or is it is it a mix of both it's kind of sounding like a little mix of both but well like I, I said there's the consumer is the boss and I, I think that they speak with their with their food dollars you know I can't say that uh, brand Z does is not sourced with any slave labor 100% sure of that I can't say that but we carry Brand Z because our consumers are buying Brand Z. Trying to avoid a lawsuit here. <laughs> <laughs> but we know that the fair trade is ethically sourced, and we promote that on a regular basis. We run sales on that product. We give it great placement on the shelf. We almost hide the conventional candy. But at eye level, you'll find all those fair trade and organic chocolates that our customer wants anyway, and I think that's an important way of supporting um, fair trade is by placement, pricing, and promoting it as often as possible. I think that brings up a, a really good point too of that if someone comes into the store and sees all of these products at eye level, it's not that we're trying to upsell you, it's, it's more of the matter of the integrity part of it with the this is what we want to promote not because it's going to make us more money but it's because it's going to make the I, farmer more money yeah, I, I won't lie we, we will upsell people too fair well, <laughs> we yeah. are a business and and the you know fair trade is a little more expensive we, we'd love that people are willing to pay a little extra for certified products whether it's local organic or fair trade it doesn't matter. If people are willing to pay a little bit more money for ethically sourced food, I think it's a win for everybody. Fair enough. So would it be safe to say that something that's produced by a co-op is always going to be fair trade? No, I, I don't think you can say that. Um, like, we have lots of cooperative producers 
in the United States, and obviously they don't necessarily have a fair trade certification until domestic fair trade gains more traction. A couple examples, Cabot cheese. That's not fair trade milk. I mean, uh, there is no such thing really at this point in time as fair trade milk, but it is cooperatively sourced. Uh, we hope that Cabot is paying attention to the ethically produced uh, products that they carry and they put their name on. There's lots of different co-ops. Deep Root Organic is a local co-op that grows food. Again, it's grown by local farmers, but there really isn't that domestic fair trade certification that's gained its gained notoriety and gained acceptance by the community. Uh, so just having uh, an organic locally sourced, that right there tells you, you know where your food is coming from. And I think that in itself is a kind of a substitute for the fair trade nomaker. But there, like I said, until domestic fair trade becomes a, a thing, it doesn't guarantee that it's a fair trade product. You do get more of the food dollar direct to the farmer uh, when you're buying a cooperative product when you're buying a local product. There's no real middlemen in that scenario, and uh, farmers can thrive in that situation much more readily. And, so a lot, and some of our farmers deliver both to Deep Root Organic and to our co-op. So it's kind of a win-win situation in that case. I think something I think something I picked up from what you were just saying was a little bit of this idea that the label isn't everything necessarily in the sense that I think with all these new all these newish certifications it's great because it informs the consumer a little bit more about how their food was made, what's in it, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. but also it makes it in some ways a little easier to not have to do the research themselves and figure out what they want it's just like oh everyone everyone says organic is good so i'm gonna buy only organic and if you like we talked about earlier there there can be some differences in interpretation on fair trade or even organic or things like that so if people are only looking at the label and and the certification and not thinking about what the intention behind that is and what it means for them, it can be kind of a slippery slope in terms of consumer participation in their own food system. Language is a, is a weird thing, and, and sometimes we read more into language than is necessarily needed. Um, like, for instance, the word natural it used to mean something. Right yeah. now, it doesn't mean much of anything. There, there's lots of these buzzwords that exist in our industry. Sustainably grown, I, I'd like to think that means something, but I really don't know exactly what it means. So, and marketers are smart people. They know that the consumer likes the idea natural. I mean, we consider ourselves a natural food store, but what does that even mean? Um, there's lots of these words that have been co-opted over the years and don't have necessarily the meaning that they once did. And we're working hard to make sure that important words like organic don't fall prey to the same sort of over-marketing and kind of the watering down of the meaning of those words. So I think um, certifications with strong boards behind them 
Organic is one of those words that's supported by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It has a National Organic Standards Board, and they get together every year deciding what's going to be considered organic, what ingredients are allowed to be organic. There's already been some watering down of organic. Like, you can use the word made with natural, natural ingredients, and it's only 70% organic. So some of these things, you know, we've lost some battles along the way, which and hydroponic, is, I'm afraid, is that next battle that we might be losing as more and more hydroponic organic products start reaching our shelves. These are the things that we care about, we like to fight against. And I think if the consumer wants to, it's important to the consumer that they reach out to either the USDA or any Custer or your senator or whoever and say, you know, we care about organic. Annie Custer is on the Ag Committee of the, the House of Representatives. So she has a lot of uh, input into what happens at the USDA and how those people, those 15 people on the board are picked. That's another thing. Uh, there's more and more non-farmers on this board. It used to be mostly organic farmers when this board was first formed. Now there's 15 people. Only four people are farmers. So uh, little... Little pieces like that are important things that have happened along the way that are kind of, I don't want to say hurting our food system, but kind of co-opting the name of organic. We have some local farms that used to be organic that are no longer organic because they don't feel organic means what it used to mean. And they see that uh, there's businesses being run out there that aren't really living up to the word organic. And it's happening a lot in, in the protein side of things, whether it's beef, pork, or chicken. But there's lots of organic products there that have been co-opted. And the dairy industry is another example. Horizon Foods, uh, we don't really carry much in the way Horizon Foods, but they're one of those businesses that have just kind of ignored organic as a principle. For them, it's a marketing word. Um, they abandoned contracts with dozens of New England organic dairy farmers recently and left them in the lurch because they, Horizon was their main buyer of their product and they just said we're not honoring these contracts anymore and they walked out. Fortunately, there's great organizations like Stonyfield. Stonyfield and Organic Valley and others that have stepped into the, the void created by Horizon and are working with these farmers. You'll see that certification, one of those certifications, and I don't have the acronym in front of me here, maybe uh, you can plug that in later, but working with these small organic farms uh, to have that value added sticker on their products, lots of local organizations like Neighborly Foods Farms, they make great cheeses. This void has been filled by a number of organizations, including the co-ops in New England, to drive demand towards these other cooperative products in the wake of Horizon's ab abandonment of these farmers. So little things like that happen that make you just scratch your head. Horizon sells mostly organic food. Uh, for them to pull something like this just says they don't care about the farmers. They don't care about the organic principles. Their organic cows probably never see the light of day. They've decided to go strictly with factory farming, and that's a, just an unfortunate decision on their part. It makes it clear 
in these type of scenarios who is using that word or those words for the monetary aspect of it and who is using it for the principle behind it, I think. Yep. So animal welfare certification, it's called AWG. That's one of those certifications you want to look for if you're looking for animal welfare certified products. And it's one of those growing products. People care about um, how their products are sourced, uh, especially when it comes to a living thing like a farm animal. Mm -hmm. I think coincides with people's increase in lifestyle choices like vegetarianism and yep. veganism. And yep. no, one, like no one's ever been arrested for broccoli abuse. <laughs> but something I wanted to say when we were talking about hydroponics and the different say kind of losses, quote unquote, that we've had along the way, do you think in the organic sphere and also kind of in our full food system, is this a lose the battle to win the war kind of situation or is it like every every battle really does count to making things better? I think if people pay attention to where their food comes from, I think buying local is a great way to do that. Like you know when you're buying a strawberry from Joe's Brook Farm that it wasn't hydroponically grown. You just know that. When you buy blueberries from Meadowstone or Windy Ridge, it wasn't hydroponically grown. You know that. So I think just knowing where your food comes from is an important piece of the puzzle. And that's one thing that the, the whole pandemic brought to light was that our food sourcing system has been stretched too thin. We supply things from all over the world when we could grow so many of these products right here in New England. And we're working as, with our food council and the New Hampshire Food Alliance to work to bring more food production here to New England so we don't get stuck in the next pandemic with the food sourcing disaster that we had uh, two years ago when our shelves were half empty because the food system just fell apart. The sourcing distances of getting uh, produce exclusively sometimes from the Central Valley of California just cannot uh, continue. The water supplies in that area are just dwindling down to nothing. Changes have to happen. When we have $5 a gallon uh, diesel fuel, it doesn't make sense to drive your leafy lettuce across the country. We should have more greenhouses. We should have more production here. There's a great big new industrial size greenhouse going up in Berlin. It's hydroponic. I know. I've been railing against hydroponic. But in New Hampshire and the, the colder regions of the planet, Hydroponic is a way to source products in a t year round in a controlled environment, and it, it's probably better than driving lettuce across the country. But it doesn't mean we're going to be able to label it organic. So I just know what you're eating, know what you're sourcing, and know that, you know, okay, I'm willing to eat hydroponically grown greens in December because I know that it's, that it's not going to be grown locally in, in December any other way. It's just not practical. Um, we have to understand where we live and make those concessions. But it doesn't mean we have to change the definition of organic to suit those needs. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of looking at the bigger picture of things. And You're going to have to make compromises. If you want bananas... Um, yeah, the banana tree in my backyard just isn't cutting it. 
No, as long as you want coffee in the morning and chocolate at night, we're going to import foods to this region. The point is, is that we should be able to source some of our fruits and vegetables locally, some of our protein byproducts locally. Some of these things, uh, first of all, they could be a great business boon to the community. We have a lot of arable land available in New Hampshire. It should be put to good use uh, growing our food. We are very vulnerable, as the pandemic proved, to being completely reliant on importation of food. And we probably need to change that at least a little bit. So, during the pandemic, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the co-op was often cited as a store with fewer of these supply chain issues. Again, hot buzzword nowadays. And we say a lot of that was because we had all of these different sourcing opportunities. The locals, the local producers stepped up. I know when you're buying from, you know, Meadowstone down the street, there's not really a supply chain there, but does the local quote-unquote supply chain bring any of its own issues opposed to the traditional supply chain, or is it only positives from buying local? Well, it's vast majority of it is possible, uh, positive. Uh, keeping the money local is an important driver for the local economy. I also think that knowing where your food came from is a a great value-added piece of the puzzle, but it oftentimes is more expensive. I mean, those factory farms are efficient, but they might not be um, desirable in many other ways. You might not want lettuce from California that's two weeks old, but you know, you pay a little extra for freshness. You pay a little more for having a local farm where, let's face it, you know, it's a tight labor market. We're probably not taking advantage of immigrant labor very much in this market area. I mean, that's just the, the reality. They're paying live, livable wages at, at all these local farms that we deal with for the most part. And uh, I think that's an important piece and one reason that local foods are a little more expensive. Plus, they have to make their money in six months. They're, they're, mm. they're, not, they're not producing 12 months out of the year like they are in Arizona and Central Valley of California. Yeah, yeah. And as we know, living in New Hampshire, it's it's uh, kind of unpredictable which six months out of the year it's going to be. I tell you, farmers are the hardest working people I know, and it's such a risk. I mean, a late frost or an early frost, hailstorm here, or so many issues can go into really making a growing season just a terrible season, and we've had that happen. And we try and support those farmers, but it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, we're all at the mercy of Mother Nature when it comes to growing our food. So what, I mean, a lot of times these things aren't necessarily preventable, but what would it take from us as a co-op, and, and maybe if you want to touch on like us as individuals, to prevent another global supply chain fiasco? from happening again. Well, I, I can't say that it's preventable necessarily, but supporting local farmers now, I mean, growing that business now. I mean, we're working on uh, creating a food council in the North Country of New Hampshire here. Um, we're working with the Food Alliance of New Hampshire and the New England Food Summit, which is a group that gets together annually to talk about food issues and, and 
and sourcing more food locally so we don't have these issues. So these are important organizations to support and it's going to take an incredible amount of coordination, working with landowners, working with farmers, developing young farmers, training young farmers, uh, offering capital to an industry that has the potential to grow incredibly fast and it's capital intensive. Tractors are expensive, greenhouses are expensive, irrigation is expensive. If you're going to build the infrastructure for farming in this part of the world, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. But the upside is we have a reliable locally sourced food system that isn't as vulnerable to these pandemics or other disasters that are bound to happen again. Uh, climate change is going to put pressure on our food system long term. And we might be a beneficiary of climate change as our growing season gets a little <laughs> bit longer. But uh, that's not necessarily a reason to promote climate change for sure. But it's one of the very few upsides, I suppose. Always looking for the bright side. One thing, one thing I wanted to touch on uh, more and more is that yeah. cooperative sourcing. We, we have dozens and dozens of cooperatives in, that we work with in the food system that are worth supporting. Uh, Florida Natural, you know, you, probably 90% of the people out there had no idea that Florida Natural Orange Juice is a cooperatively owned business. The farmers own that business, so they get the profits from that particular product. So supporting cooperative, cooperatively owned businesses like Ocean Spray, like Cabot, like Blue Diamond, really puts money into the pockets of farmers. And ultimately that's what's gonna drive more people become farmers on a smaller scale. Um, Large-scale farming isn't sustainable. I mean, I think the recent history has proven that and it has a real impact on our climate. Part of the climate change answer is to go grow more organic products, grow more sustainable products, have smaller farms instead of these giant farms, rely on more sustainable growing practices, like no-till farming, some of these things that are not going to happen on a large-scale farm. They're always going to till their field because it's more productive, it's good for their bottom line. They have the tractors already. They're going to do this. They're going to use fertilizers. They're going to use these products. So here in the North Country, um, we don't have this water shortage that California does necessarily. I mean, there's probably shortages. Not yet. <laughs> but it just makes more sense, and it doesn't make sense to have lettuce drunk driven across the country like it is now. Any other things that you want to touch on that we didn't touch on? Well, I think climate change is probably that biggest thing. Um, if, if we continue to eat the way we do, it, it's probably not sustainable. Our reliance on beef, pork, and chicken in, in this country is probably not all that sustainable as far, as far as the food system goes. Not that we should get rid of those things, but we probably eat too much of it. It's artificially cheap for a number of reasons. Uh, part of it is the USDA subsidies go to products like corn and soybean, which the vast majority of that goes to feeding these animals, making it cheaper because they're all subsidized crops. Um, we need to start subsidizing fruits and vegetables, something with more nutritional content so we can live healthier, longer lives. Reduce our health care costs. God forbid we do that. <laughs> so eating healthier all the way around uh, will contribute to, to a healthy lifestyle that the co-op is so much in favor of. Yeah. So I think, as, as we've said, 
as we've laid out today, there's there's a lot behind these certifications and these words that you see on all of your favorite products or that new product you want to try. So if you take away anything, well, I was going to say something, if you, but maybe that's the last question. If you take away anything from this, what should it be? Um, educate yourself. These certifications are changing all the time. There's new ones popping up. Pay attention to what they mean. I, just because you has the fair trade, that's the buzzword, doesn't mean it's necessarily value-added. Gluten-free. Gluten-free is put, getting put on labels of products now that never ever had any gluten in them, so they couldn't possibly <laughs> have gluten in them, but people are paying to have that gluten-free label put on there. So sometimes these certifications are a great guide for uh, the consumer, but it has to be an educated consumer. So spend the time understanding what these certifications mean. It changes all the time and it bears paying attention to. Unless you want to read labels from A to Z and figure out exactly where every single product came from, um, we're going to have to rely on these certifications uh, and it pays to understand exactly what they mean. That's a really good point. I don't think anyone wants these days wants to make their trip to the grocery store any longer than it has to be. <laughs> but thank you so much for again coming on and sharing all of this. I've certainly learned a lot today and um, I'm gonna go educate myself on some certifications that we mentioned today that I didn't know about. Well, good, good luck with that. Uh, thanks as always. Nice talking. to this special bonus episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. And I have to give another big thank you to Ed for helping me put together this episode and sharing more of his wisdom with us. It was really great to celebrate October as National Co-op Month and Fair Trade Month with all of you. Apparently, October is also the month of many food-based holidays, including National Pickled Pepper Month. Maybe next year we'll get around to an October Pickled Pepper episode. But until then, we have plenty of other content to entertain you with. I'm sure if you liked this episode, you'll like the rest too. And speaking of liking, make sure you also like this episode, subscribe to the show, and leave us a rating and review about how much you like it. Maybe like isn't a strong enough word to convey how you feel. It's love. You love it. You know you do. I love it too. I love all of you. And I want you to remember until next time to eat, sleep, and be rad. Rad is a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr directs and hosts. Jesse Smith and Annie Stewart produce. Becky Colpitz provides unrelenting positivity and moral support. 
The Littleton Food Co-op is Littleton, New Hampshire's community-owned grocery store. We put our money where your mouth wants to be. Local farms, of course. No membership is required to shop here. Come check us out sometime, just off exit 41 at 43 Bethlehem Road in Littleton. Or if you're online, check us out at littletoncoop.com.